Good day, Western Standard Watchers. I'm Nigel Hannaford, and we're here to talk about what's been going on this week in the election. I have with me here today Mike Solberg. Mike is a partner at New West Public Affairs, based here in Calgary. Mike, you're a former partner, uh, former staffer in the uh, Conservative government of Stephen Harper, I think. You bet. So you're one of those Solbergs? I am. Yes. Okay. And your business is knowing what's going on. Correct. All right. Well, Correct. you're the you're the man we want. Mike, good afternoon. Thank you. We are oh, you're you're so kind of trying to come over. Mike, we are going through we're through the first week of very important election campaign. In your view, did anybody fall off their chair, land a direct hit, um, score a home run? How are the two parties doing so far, in your view? Sure, sure. No, and that's that's the question. I think we're all looking back to see how the past week uh, was won. And my opinion, I don't think there has been any knockout punches delivered yet. Uh, I think we're still working towards actually defining the campaign narrative. I think that both parties are doing uh, their work to try and earn the support of Albertans and try and define the ballot box question that they'll ultimately go in to the ballots on, on May 29th and cast mm -hmm. votes with those issues in mind. But I'm not sure that we've come to a conclusion on that yet. And I think both parties uh, still obviously have some life in them going into week two. So I shouldn't ask you what the ballot question is because you don't, we don't know yet. Well, we know what the parties want them to be. Um, I'm not sure that the narrative has really uh, gone uh, and kind of made its way through the general public, the voting public. I'm not sure that that's clear yet. Um, the part, the, the, the race is so close still. And I think once, once, and if one of these parties start to pull away, well, then I think we can probably start to, to uh, conclude what that ballot box question ultimately will be. But right now with no, no conclusions yet. Mike, it's very interesting that you said that this has not dribbled down to the general public yet. We both were in different places, worked the 2019 provincial election campaign. Yeah. It's only three and a half weeks it's not even three and a half weeks to the vote. But it doesn't really feel like there's much buzz. There's not much going on. I and mean, is it just me or, or are you feeling the same thing, that this campaign is not like the 2019 campaign? No, for sure. No, you and I share that view. I think it's been somewhat lackluster uh, compared to 2019 in the first week. And so I think there's a few think reasons for that. Well, I think one, uh, there's, well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I think that in 2019, there was a lot of optimism uh, and the 2019 campaign was the culmination of the long work that Jason Kenney had done to merge the two right-wing parties in the province, bring them together uh, as a unified movement, and then go into the 2019 campaign um, and, and ultimately win. Uh, so there was a lot of kind of buzz around that election. There was a lot of, uh, uh, I think, issues that needed to be resolved. Uh, Rachel Nolly oversaw the largest economic contractions in Alberta's history at that time. Uh, so there was change in the air. Uh, Jason Kenney had enormous momentum, even eight months out. I think uh, most people probably thought that he was going to form government. He was a government in waiting. That's not the case right now. Um, the economy is doing well. Jobs have recovered. In fact, a lot of reports have shown that <laughs> all of the economic damage that was done during COVID has already been unwound. Uh, so I don't think anybody's going to mind with, with punishing the sitting government because of missteps with the economy, the, the, the UCP have that narrative uh, in their side. The NDP don't have it in their side. So if we're not voting on the economy this time, well, what are we voting on? Uh, and I think that that's still playing out. And that's probably why the campaign has been somewhat lackluster so far, because the issues aren't clear. 
Uh, and, and Rachel Nolly and Daniel Smith are both known quantities. We're not dealing with new personalities here. Whereas Jason Kenney, granted he was a longtime federal minister, was new to the provincial stage. So there at least was some drama and excitement around that. That's not the case with, with Rachel Nolly and, and Daniel Smith. Daniel needs to get a blue Dodge truck. <laughs> yeah, she needs something. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Let's, if it's not about the economy, and you're right, it, it really shouldn't be. And yet Rachel Notley is trying to make it about the economy with uh, an announcement yesterday, wants to invest, as she would call it, I would call it spend, $400 million in what she is calling the, uh, what, what is she calling it? The Alberta's future tax credit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right. Talk to me about that. What is, is this actually an investment or is this just a, like, I noticed there was a payoff to the union buddies in there in the training program. Like, what's, what is this really all about? Yeah, well, I mean, tax credits are a way to incentivize investment into our economy. And they only are paid out when these profitable companies who are enjoying the tax credit are profitable. Uh, and uh, and that's how these tax credits, you know, kind of operate. And it is uh, kind of the inverse to at least the managing style of the UCP in 2019, who are quite uh, immune to the tax credit conversation. They limited... Uh, eliminated the tax credits that were created by the then Notley government almost almost right away. That eventually changed. Uh, one of the biggest policy planks that the UCP have have put uh, feather in their cap over is the film and tele television tax credit, which did an extraordinary uh, job in attracting big productions to Alberta and, and big money. Rachel Notley is now trying to do the same, but of no surprise. Uh, their government had it in 2015 to 2019, and now a Notley government would, would certainly do it again. Frankly, I think it's smart. We should be incentivizing and offering economic opportunity and the t t uh, incentives like tax credits uh, to, to, to companies all over the world. Uh, we should make this a, a competitive jurisdiction. So I thought that was a smart policy from, from Rachel Notley. All right. Okay. That's, um, she says that it will pay for itself. I think we've heard uh, heard other people say that large expenditures will pay for themselves. You have, um, so you, you're buying them. Well, I mean, I'm buying the I'm buying tax credits as a as a way to bring investment to the economy because they're only paid out when these companies are paying uh, taxes, therefore profitable uh, mm -hmm. in the province. So, you know, I think it's I think we're right to be skeptical of these things, how they work in practice. She was light on details. We need to see what the eligibility mm -hmm. criteria and these types of things are. And that type of stuff, of course, won't be fleshed out until uh, if Rachel Notley were successful in winning this race um, and uh, the jury's still out and what's going to occur there. So we'll probably not uh, have the details that I think you and I need, Nigel, to really break this down. OK, that, let's let's move on. And let's talk talking about details. Yeah. Um, yesterday, there, there was a feature announcement from the UCP in which uh, some people say they got the numbers mixed up. We're speaking here of the, the, the ASO report, uh, Rachel Notley said this is 87, we're going to, uh, it's going to cost $87 billion to do what we want to do, which is carbon net zero by 2035. The announcement was, well, that's a lot of money, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, and yet now there's some controversy about just how much money that is. Can you explain that for the viewers? Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, the controversy is hardly a controversy, in my opinion. Uh, the UCP made the claim that under the NDP's plan to decarbonize the electricity grid by 2035, 
it would cost 20 or 87 billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And this was cited uh, through this independent research firm called uh, No Novius, Novius, uh, as well as uh, as well as ASO themselves, and they pulled data from both reports. Hey, so we, maybe we should just explain what that is. Yeah, Alberta's is. electricity system operator. They're the yeah. regulator of Alberta's electricity system. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and per their report, uh, they pulled details from both, and that was the conclusion they came to. Now, Novius uh, came out and said, uh, well, no, to be clear, this is not what we're concluding, and asked for a correction, which was that the of the $87 billion, uh, $52 billion of that, that's the cost that it would be to decarbonize the electricity grid by 2035. And in the years following, by 2040 and 2015 real dollars, the cost of the economy would be $35 billion from the province's GDP. That's, that's $87 billion, Nigel. So sure, it was imprecise, uh, which is frankly something that I'm sure the UCP wish they could, could do over again. But... The proof is in the pudding. It's still an extraordinarily expensive and ambitious plan from the NDP to decarbonize on those timelines. The UCP said that they would do it by 2050, um, which would be cheaper, presumably. Um, but is this a controversy? No. Uh, the clarification was already made by the UCP late last night, and it was accepted in its language by Novius, the independent firm that was hired to look at this in the first place. And for this to be a controversy outside of the bubble, outside of the mainstream media, you'd have to talk to people on the, on, on the street and assume that they know what you and I are talking about, Nigel, when we're speaking about this issue. And I can guarantee you if we pulled 200 people outside this building right now, they would have no earthly clue what we're talking about. So, no, I think the page has already turned on this so-called controversy, and we'll move on to the next one. All right. So what the, what the real issue in all of that is, is whether they're going to be able to do all of that, whoever is, does it, and keep the lights on all the time. Sure. Uh, I mean that's probably too much for this uh, for this segment, but uh, I, I have been looking. If we're all going to be driving electric cars, and if we're all going to heat our homes with electricity and not natural gas, we're going to need a hell of a lot more generation, and it's going to have to be reliable because I don't want my house to go cold because the wind isn't blowing. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, no, it's going to require a far deeper policy conversation, particularly in a cold climate. Uh, like like Alberta, mm -hmm. uh, to to make sure that we are able to do this in a sustainable manner, and uh, the NDPs is far too ambitious and accelerated, and it's going to cost a lot of money. And that was the announcement made yesterday. So, Mike, if it's not the economy, and uh, stuff like this is uh, frankly not going to be a vote switcher, is it about? Rachel Notley and Daniel Smith, a popularity contest. I think more so than ever, this is a personality-driven race. Uh, you know, to be clear, voters will still vote on the economy. The economy will come in mind, but they won't be punishing anyone for, for a poor economy. We're mm. not, we're in a, frankly, a rosy economy right now. Projections show that to continue. Our fiscal situation has been the, is the best it's been in decades, in part, well, large in part, buoyed by strong commodity prices, including our our oil and gas sector, uh, and and uh, and our employment numbers have completely recovered from the economic contractions that that Rachel Notley oversaw, and those that we saw uh, for a period during during the pandemic as well. So so no, voters aren't going to be punishing this government on the economy, and therefore I think it'll be on other issues, and they're going to look to these two leaders and their personalities and uh, and uh, how they identify as themselves and as leaders, and I think that that's going to play out over the next three and a half weeks as well. 
So how important is it that a, a leader should be likable? Let me, let me put it to you this way. Suppose that they, suppose I had a serious operation, a medical procedure, they're going to open me up and put, hopefully put me back together again. I meet the surgeon and he turns out to be, let's just say have no bedside manner. Sure. All right. But I am assured by everybody around me that this is the guy who knows how to take you <laughs> apart and put you back together again, except no substitutes. Yeah. All right. So now we come to uh, somebody who we are putting in charge of uh, a province with a GDP of what? hundred and two. Oh, it'd be enormous. It, yeah. it, it, a couple yeah. hundred billion dollars at least. Yeah. Uh, Four million people, all of whom are looking to government for leadership on the economy. How important is that that person also be personally attractive? It's not. It's not. And, uh, you know, it's certain jurisdictions and certain populations may disagree. Um, but we've seen it before. And there are many examples of steady hand leadership uh, being rewarded by a vote at the ballot, despite their distaste for their lack of personality, lack of persona, lack of charisma. Not many people like Stephen Harper are really itched to ha sit down and have a beer with him, yet many regard him as That's the greatest. He probably wouldn't have had, actually. <laughs> Maybe a Coke or a hamburger. <laughs> yeah, not a beer. Yeah, not a beer. Uh, exactly. But many regard him as perhaps the best post-war prime minister this country's ever had. Uh, folks weren't exactly uh, itching to hang out with Jason Kenney, either in the lead-up to 2019 or after. Uh, and he uh, enjoyed the strongest mandate in provincial history only four years ago. So, no, I don't think that is necessarily important that uh, a politician is well-liked in order to be successful. So if you had advice for, um, for Daniel Smith, what would it be? Uh, Daniel Smith, I think, can lack on message discipline at times. Mm -hmm. She's naturally curious, which has aided her in her career. Uh, that's what's made her a, a brilliant thinker and a, and a brilliant prognosticator and pundit and has joined a long career in journalism and radio. Uh, but it's not often something that uh, you want to carry into a political career. And I know she's been working on that. Uh, but being stronger on her message discipline, being able to pivot and punch back and play the political game a little better, I think, uh, is something that I would advise her had she asked me for my advice. Um, and, and, and ensuring that, at least during this campaign, that voters are reminded every chance she gets, every time she's on the radio, every time she's in front of the press, in front of the cameras, that she's reminding Albertans what 2015 to 2019 looked like. We had double-digit unemployment in both major cities in Calgary and Edmonton. Outside of the Maritimes, that was the worst uh, uh, unemployment numbers in the country mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, there was the worst economic <clears throat> contractions in Alberta's history, since, before, including the Great Depression, during those four years. And granted, not all of this was Rachel Nonley's to blame. There was a complete collapse in the energy sector. Uh, but that is the undisputable fact. Uh, and she should be doing a better job of reminding Albertans on that. So should she be getting, should she in fact be making herself more available? You know, perhaps. Don't take the Joe Biden approach. And perhaps, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something to be said about sometimes going down too deep of an esoteric policy rabbit hole. Um, regular Albertans uh, won't care all that much about uh, some of these global market forces and Alberta's investor response to it. Um, sure, Daniel Smith can talk circles around us on that. She's brilliant. Uh, but in a campaign where we have to be very clear in our campaign messaging, our political messaging, and uh, while we are, well, the UCP do need to present a forward-looking vision, 
what will a UCP government do over the next four years? They also have to remind people about what an NDP government looked like from 2015 to 2019. And what's at stake should they decide to reelect Rachel Notley again? What did that government look like? Let me, let me think. We'll have to, okay. Three and a half weeks to go. Yeah. Let's see what they do with our good advice. Yeah, let's see. Mike, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you aboard. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nigel. It's, really, it's, it's good to catch you. Yeah, pleasure to be here, always. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Nigel Hannaford for the Western Standard. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.